the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we look to the Word this morning, would you open your Bibles with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. As we have been studying verse by verse through the epistle of First Peter, I wanted to read for you this account, this narrative, this conversation between the very writer of First Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Jesus Christ while he was walking with him here on earth. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, we read this very famous passage, which has been debated and studied for various reasons, specifically uh, the word love. But I want you this morning to get something else out of it, to focus on the challenge, the command, the passing of the baton that Jesus did with Peter. Verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend or feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. This is a very powerful scene, and the lesson Peter learned, he is now passing on to others. Shepherd the flock, tend the sheep of God. Not only in practice do we know he did this, but also in his writings, and we find this in our passage for this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Turn there with me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. We're going to take a couple of weeks to unpack this passage But what we have come to, as we have seen so much practical encouragement and admonishment from Peter regarding the difficulties and how Christians are to excel still more, how Christians are to continue pursuing Christ in the midst of horrible, terrible persecution, he now gets to chapter 5 as we come to the conclusion of the book, and he gives some very practical advice to various people, various aspects of the body, various parts of the church. Let me read for you 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Uh, We have a good friend of mine visiting this morning who is a seminary student. And what they are teaching him right now in seminary is what they taught me when I was in seminary. In your sermon, leave the application to the end. I'm going to break that rule. Because when you read a passage like this, it is easy for many of you to check out and say, well, Pastor Roger, this is for you. Uh, This is about shepherds. This is about elders. I'm not an elder. I do not aspire to be an elder. I do not want to be a pastor. And so this is nice. Obviously, it's important because it's the Word of God, but this is not for me. And so I want to give you some points of application just to help you focus as we go through this passage uh, over this morning and next week. The first is very obvious. It's the Word of God, and so you need to know it. It's the Word of God, and so it applies to you in some way, shape, or form. Though it may not apply to you in the sense that you are not an elder, or maybe you will never be an elder, and so it's not even something you would tuck away, it is important to understand God's plan for the church, for one. And so the second application, I would say, is if you are visiting with us this morning, And perhaps you are not committed to this church, you are church hopping, you are looking for a church, maybe you're on a vacation, maybe for for probably a a good percentage of you, uh, you will eventually leave this church because your job or your family will take you elsewhere. You need to know what what a true church looks like because a key component of a true church is biblical true elders. And as we'll see in a moment, we're not talking about older people, we're talking about the title, the office of elder. You need to find a church that follows the model of God, not just that they have elders, but that the elders are functioning properly. I've heard of a church, a very large and so, at least from a worldly perspective, very successful church, and where the pastor sat in an elders meeting where some members of our church were elders at the time, and he said, I just want to remind you, elders, that your job is not to make decisions. Your job is to support my decisions and to pray for them. That's not a biblical elder And therefore, I would say that's not a biblical church. You need to know what an elder, a biblical elder is called to, what it looks like. And there's more, not just in the passage we'll see. The passage Chris just read for us, that's very important as well. And so this does apply to you. Thirdly, if this is your church, if you are committed here, whether for a few years or for the unforeseen future, what we are about to look at is what you must expect and demand of me. This is what you, if you do not see these aspects in my life, you need to confront me, you need to rebuke me, and if I do not repent, you need to remove me. I hold to the biblical standard of a pastor so strongly that if it even means that I lose my job, then so be it. Because as we'll see in a moment, the most important uh, aspect of an elder is his desire to shepherd the flock. And you can't shepherd the flock if you're not doing it God's way in how you practice that, but also how you live it out in one's own life and integrity. And so with that, I would add a second one is that you can use this as a model to pray. If you don't know how to pray for us, Um, I know that many of you, all of you are praying for uh, the many um, 
medical issues we have uh, among our children, both born and unborn, uh, but this is a way that you can pray for me in regards to uh, my role in the church. Well, without further ado, let's go into the four qualities of a biblical elder. We'll look at the first two this morning. Four qualities of a biblical elder. I'll just kind of open the curtain and give you a little insight into what happens in my little office there in my home. I just changed this a couple days ago because originally I had this as four tests of a true elder. And so you could see it as that way as well. If you are going somewhere and you say something doesn't seem right about this church or this, uh, this religious organization or whatever it is, you can take these and others, of course, First Timothy 3 is very important as well, and you can say, is this, does the, the elders, do the pastors of this church pass these four tests? Uh, because if not, it's, they're not biblical elders. They're not fulfilling their function. Now, it is true that no one is going to be perfect, but the point is that they are striving to do these things. So the first quality of a biblical elder is the description in verse 1. Again, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. And in this description, we get a little bit here, but I'm going to give you a little more. Uh, It's going to be a little bit like a classroom setting this morning as I just kind of give you the details of what uh, an elder is from this passage and others. But let me read uh, that for you again. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Therefore, I I exhort rather the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So what is an elder? The concept of this kind of elder, or in terms of uh, the role of someone overseeing a group of God's people, goes back to the Old Testament where we saw that there were elders over Israel. And Peter here in the New Testament is referring to a position in the church, not someone uh, who is older in age. That is not a, uh, a requirement of an elder within the church. These are officials within the local church that are the leaders of the congregation. You often hear uh, that a church will have what they call an elder board. And so without taking that too tightly, uh, it is very loosely similar to the board of directors of a company that kind of oversee and set the direction of any company or organization. And so it's a similar idea here, but don't take that too far. Because an elder board, unlike a, an el, a, a board of directors of a company, is not merely concerned with the bottom line or the big picture or the shareholders running the organization, but also the elder in a church, the elder board, is responsible for and concerned about taking care of each and every person in the church and their spiritual walk. So this isn't just how does, how, where are we going as a church? This isn't just big picture stuff, making sure that we have small groups that are teaching the Bible, making sure that we have sermons that are, that are biblical, but getting into each and every one of your lives. It's not enough just to stand up here and cast vision and to preach a sermon as it is with a board of directors. Right? You go to any board of directors of a big company, they don't know the names of anyone under them except the presidents and vice presidents. That's not the case. Uh, That's where the analogy and the comparison falls apart. It's very different within the church. As such, pastors and elders 
or excuse me, pastors or elders, with some rare exceptions. Uh, each church will do this differently. Uh, this is not biblical. It's not unbiblical, but it's not from the Bible. This is not across the board. But oftentimes, for example, uh, you'll have a larger church that has a youth pastor, seminary trained, ordained as a pastor, but they just choose not to have him on the elder board either because of his experience or because of his age. That's not always the case. Um, but so uh, except for rare exceptions, pastors are elders. It's the really uh, an interchangeable word in the scriptures, as we'll see soon. However, not all elders are pastors, okay? And so many of you have been to churches where there's multiple elders, but just one or two pastors. Not elders are are pastors. However, all elders do take care of, on a spiritual level, the people within the church. That is the role uh, that they have been given by God and has been recognized by the church. Although the descriptions we find in this passage uh, are true of all church elders at all times, we know that Peter is speaking of a very specific context. He starts verse 1 with the word, therefore. Uh, and, and you understand even in English, if you, like if you walked into a lecture late at school or into a conversation, and the first thing you hear is, and that's why, or therefore, you'd want to know what's going on, what I need to know the context. And very simply, this goes back to all the suffering and persecution that Peter has been talking about. And so with all that is going on in this church 2,000 years ago that was heavily persecuted physically and emotionally, all the more do pastors and elders need to take care of God's people on a spiritual level and to take care of God's people in God's way. And you get that. Right? You, you understand how much extra care you need during trials. Just imagine what they're going through, knowing that their trials are because of Christ, how much more important that the elders and pastors come alongside and say, remember what Peter wrote. Remember what we've been taught. God is with us. The Holy Spirit will give us rest. There's blessing. There's glory in the end. And just kind of come alongside them to make sure that they're not troubled or questioning God or any of those types of things. Again, that being said, that doesn't mean that what Peter is about to write and tell us does not apply to us because we're not being physically abused for our faith. This is true of elders all the time until the Lord returns. These elders in the church must be appointed and fulfill spiritual requirements which are found in 1 Timothy 3 as well as Titus 1. And in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you have the specific list. An elder, an overseer must be boom, 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 boom. But you also see the qualifications of an elder on every page of the New Testament because they must be growing, have a relationship with God. All of the commands for the believer, any believer, obviously also applies to the elder. But there are specific qualifications. And I'd like to... Uh, have you turn back to 1 Timothy 3 again. Uh, we read the whole chapter earlier. I want to focus on verses 1 through 7. So the first uh, thing that you need to look at when you look at the description of a biblical elder is are they qualified? Do they meet the spiritual qualifications? Now again, no one is going to be perfect. Some of these qualifications, as you will see, are either yes or no. 
right? You, you either are, for example, a man who has one wife or you're not, right? Single and pure or the husband of one wife or you're cheating on her, you've had affairs or whatever. There's no in-between, right? There are, are some others such as respectable that um, there's a lot of gray area. And so no one also, this goes with the qualifications of deacons as well, and, and you, you get this, right? There are some people where you know, like, obviously, uh, our elders and deacons are not perfect, but they're people that you see and you say, yeah, they're, they're excelling in these things, and, and they've met these qualities on, a, on at least as much as they can in a human level. Anyways, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's an elder, It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, which means sober-minded. We looked at this uh, a few weeks ago in 1 Peter. Prudent, that just means having self-control. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now stop there. Able to teach means he knows the Scriptures, knows how to study the Scriptures, and can teach the Scriptures. Okay, this is different than preaching. There are some elders uh, in, in churches where they should be able to explain the scriptures. They should be able to teach a class. They may be very boring. They may be the last person you want a Sunday morning preaching a sermon because they're not good at how they present the scriptures, but they know it and they can explain it because they understand it. Okay, so that's that's the difference. Not every elder needs to be able to preach a great sermon, but they need to be able to teach. Uh, Verse 3, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, that means violent, but gentle, peaceable. Uh, Peaceable means not picking fights. He's not someone who gets angry and wants, you know, kind of pokes the bear and wants to pick fights all the time, physical or arguments. Free from the love of money. Verse 4. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, not a new believer, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, this is very important, so that he will not fall into rep- reproach and the snare of the devil. And so this is not the most important one, but it is also important that he isn't just well-respected and everyone likes him uh, in the church, but what do his non-Christian neighbors say about him? What do his co-workers say about him? Because that's talking about a consistency uh, in his living out his faith. Okay. So from various uh, teachings in the New Testament, it is clear that there are uh, different offices within the church, uh, most specifically an elder and a deacon. And 1 Peter 5 is no exception to that group of passages, as we notice that Peter assumes here that the local church has elders, even that early on. This is the early church. This is 2,000 years ago. Christianity is a new religion. And so having elders is a key component of a true biblical church. Uh, This is also one of uh, the arguments, kind of on a side note, where our focus and our understanding of where Christians are to primarily worship, 
where Christians are to primarily serve in and out of, and where uh, Christians are primarily to devote their resources, time, energy, and money, is in the local church, and secondarily, a parachurch organization, as good and wonderful as they are. So what's a parachurch organization? An organization that is not a church, but is a Christian organization. BSF is a parachurch organization. Campus Crusade, uh, InterVarsity, those are parachurch organizations. And why I say that's one of the defenses of the priority of the local church is because we see that this pattern of church government is just that, within the church. And in fact, you go to these organizations and they wouldn't have elders because they understand the pattern of the local church. Right? They wouldn't say, oh, these are the elders and deacons of BSF. They'd say, these are the leaders, the vice president, this is whatever, right? Because this belongs to the church. Now, in the New Testament, and here we're going to get even more academic, there are three Greek terms that are used for such men, okay? Elders, pastors, overseers. They're all used interchangeably, though within the context and the word itself will emphasize different aspects of that same individual, that same role. Here in 1 Peter 5, or 1 Peter 5, 1, because he uses a different word, as we'll see later on, the Greek word is presbyteros, right? Sounds like Presbyterian, and that's where they get that. The, word is, uh, the Greek word is presbyteros, and it emphasizes the necessity of the spiritual maturity to be an elder. Right? Obviously, an uh, elder needs to be spiritually, spiritually mature if he is to lead and guide others to spiritual maturity. Another word that is used, we're talking about the entirety of the New Testament here, not just First Peter, uh, is the word episkopos. You've heard that in a modern uh, English word as well. And episkopos is translated, translated as overseer. And as the English word indicates, it speaks of the elder's role as the guardian or a guardian of God's people to oversee the, them. Uh, the third word is poimen, which is a shepherd. And this word uh, can refer to an actual shepherd, right? The guy out in the field leading the animals, sheep, as well as the shepherd of God's people, which is where that word and that symbolism comes from. The focus of this word, of course, is the feeding of the sheep through the teaching, uh, the teaching and the use of God's word. In fact, the root of this word is used in the verb form in verse 2, which we'll see later on, shepherd the flock of God. Now back in uh, 1 Peter 5.1, you notice that Peter himself is an elder in the church, and in addressing these elders in this church in uh, ancient Asia, refers to himself as a fellow elder. What's more, as you see, uh, Paul does this a lot also, he adds uh, some further emphasis of his authority by emphasizing his identification uh, with the fact that he was with Jesus Christ. Right? He says that I witnessed the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I was there with him. You, and they, of course, they would know this. And what's great about this terminology that Peter uses is that the word witness is a lot how we use it in the courtroom language today. Because he's speaking not just of the fact that he was physically there, he saw it, 
But now he is testifying. He is proclaiming the gospel. He's testifying to what he saw, right? We use that the same in the court. This is a witness. Take the stand. The witness is not going to tell us what he saw because he saw it. And it's the same idea here, the dual meaning. Now, Peter's going to elaborate on this more in verse 4. But here he adds to the description of an elder with the phrase, uh, speaking to the elders, fellow partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. And again, in verse 4, we'll see this next week, he's going to elaborate on this more. So as he exhorts the elders to properly take care of the church, which is going to be hard work, especially given their circumstances, he encourages them with the reality that they will participate in the future reward, along with all believers, with a special reward because of their faithful service of God's people to God. Should they remain faithful to the end, as we know many do not. So that's the description of a biblical elder. To sum it up, a spiritually qualified, and I would add biblically qualified, individual designated for a specific office within the church. So he's a spiritually qualified, and those qualifications are in the Bible, individual, designated for a specific office within the church, the local church. But what, does, what is it that an elder does? On a practical level, that's going to vary from church to church, what an elder does and the size of the church and how many elders, how many pastors there are, things like that. But ultimately, we see this uh, in, in uh, verse 2. Our second quality of a biblical elder is the duty, the duty. So we, back, we saw back in 1 Timothy 3 the qualifications of an elder. And it speaks, if you remember, in verse 1. It says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. So he clarifies, Paul does to Timothy, that if someone desires to be an elder, what we are looking for is not someone who just wants to be an elder so he has authority. It's not someone who wants the title. It's not someone who uh, wants the pay because there is no pay. <laughs> right? It, it's not like, oh, that looks, I want to be in charge. It is a fine work that he desires to do. So usually when someone is asked to be an elder of a church, it's because he's already doing this stuff. It isn't like, oh, you're really successful in business. You're really outgoing. You have all these characteristics by the world standards that are successful. And so let me take you in and teach you to love God's people, teach you to teach the Word of God, uh, get rid of your mistress, you know, all that stuff. No, this, this is someone who's already fulfilling the qualifications, not just in his personal integrity, but also in how he is taking care of God's people, how he loves God's people. So it is very important to understand that elders desire the work. And so on the flip side... There you often find people who naturally, when you are uh, pursuing these spiritual qualities, naturally you find people who are very humble about it. And so you say, you know, we'd like to have you as an official elder. And they're like, no, 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 I, I can't do that. That's not for me. But the reality is you're already doing it, right? 
let's just put you in a position where you now have more authority because you are an elder to do this in a deeper and, and, and broader level for the people of God. But again, what is that work that he desires to do? First Peter chapter 5, verse 2, the first uh, phrase and a half, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And we're going to stop there. The act of shepherding is a term that is synonymous with a pastor or elder. And the picture, again, comes from an actual shepherd who is taking care of a flock of sheep. And what does that shepherd do? Well, you don't know because we're in Silicon Valley. Who, who's that? I mean, have you ever seen a guy, you know, with a... No, probably not. Maybe in the, in the movies, right? Maybe in a couple months when people do their little Christmas plays at their churches. But you've never seen a, a real shepherd. Well, no offense, but sheep are notoriously unintelligent. They need a leader. They need a shepherd. Uh, any true shepherd in the Middle East or wherever will tell you this. Right? This is why they need sheepdogs. This is why they need that staff. That's why they need to gently coddle them. That's why sometimes they need to whack them on the tail or whatever it may be. And so a shepherd, really, without the shepherd, the sheep would die. He needs to feed them. He needs to nourish them. You've probably seen uh, uh, you know, in, in the movies or whatever, they need to help these sheep give birth. He needs to protect them out where they're uh, you know, out in the fields and other parts of the country and, and, uh, and other parts of the world. There are coyotes. There are wolves, right? Sheep, especially these days, is good money, not only for uh, the wool but also for the meat. So there are actually people who would steal sheep. And the shepherd's job is to care for them, protect them, guard them, feed them, everything. I mean, there's different pictures you see even of Jesus going because there's one lost sheep, right? He has to go out. In fact, I just saw a a picture. A a friend of mine posted this picture, and it's an actual aerial shot. And you see just all this white, and it looks like an hourglass because there are hundreds of sheep in this pen, and the hourglasses, they're coming all out of this one gate, and then after they pass the gate, they're flooding out again. But here's the thing. There's no fence. They could have just stormed out. They're just following the shepherd. Okay? And this is kind of the idea of what a shepherd does, to guide them, to lead them, to direct them. Earlier I read for you the dialogue in John chapter 21 between Jesus and Peter, in which our Lord tells Peter to shepherd the flock. And in this conversation between them, we learn that the reason anyone is to lead God's people is because he first and foremost loves God. Not the power, not the authority, not even the church. He loves God first and foremost. Right? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Tend my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, I do. Therefore, shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then how do you practice that? Tend my sheep. And this is a responsibility that Jesus passed on to Peter, knowing that he was leaving earth and that Peter was going to serve him by shepherding the flock, serving the church. And we are reminded again in this conversation in John chapter 21 exactly who these people are. 
So when the shepherd looks, when the elder sees his congregation, he doesn't just see hurting people. He doesn't just see his church members. He doesn't just see donors. He doesn't just see people that fill the seats. He sees what Christ calls them in this conversation with Peter, God's people, God's church, God's sheep, God's individuals. You do not belong to me. You belong to God. Every elder, every pastor is merely an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this is what uh, Peter calls him in verse 4, the chief shepherd. The people we are to care for, Peter calls the flock of God. Jesus calls my sheep. And the form, that the word, uh, the form of the word um, that First Peter uses is a term of endearment. And it emphasizes how precious the church is to Jesus Christ and how precious the church should be to the under-shepherds of God. And in fact, the verb shepherd is in a tense that indicates that this is to be done by the elders energetically. And we'll see this next week, but the rest of verse uh, 2 through, and then through 4 just speaks of all of these priorities in the mindset of the elder that show that this is to be done willingly, lovingly, energetically. He wants to do this. No one's forcing him to do it. He's not doing it for the money, which would be laughable. He's not doing it to, to steal from the church. It's just because he wants to shepherd God's people. The idea of God's people as a flock of sheep is seen all over the Scriptures, You're familiar with this term. But have you ever noticed, for example, that probably the most infamous psalm, perhaps the most infamous passage of the Bible in the world, Psalm 23, it starts with this picture of not humans, but this illustration of a physical sheep and the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you think this is talking about humans, you're like, what? He leads me beside quiet waters. Don't really need that. Maybe, you know, less traffic. Is that what quiet waters? No, No, he's given this illustration of what a shepherd with a staff and a sheepdog does with this little sheep. And it's an illustration of how Christ takes care of us. Of course, then in Psalm 23, he transitions into humans and the spiritual aspects of man and how the Lord shepherds us through that. Speaking of God, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11 says, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes, the baby sheep. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Back in John. John chapter 10, we see that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. John chapter 10 and verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jump down to verse 27. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The emphasis on the flock being the flock of God shows that the shepherds have no ownership over this flock. Only God does. And with with all things, all believers, not just elders, but all of us, all of you, are merely stewards of that which God has given us, be it finances, family, or fame. And the principle, this principle of stewardship, is heightened at the level of shepherding God's, Christ's blood-bought people. In his book, Biblical Eldership, who uh, Alexander Strzok, who is a great uh, author on these types of things, he has a, a book called The New Testament Deacon as well, different books on, on church uh, order and, and church functions, he writes this, The biblical image of a shepherd caring for his flock, standing long hours, ensuring its safety, leading it to fresh pasture and clear water, carrying the weak, seeking the lost, healing the wounded and sick, is precious. The whole image of the Palestinian shepherd is characterized by intimacy, tenderness, concern, skill, hard work, suffering, and love. He writes, it is... As another author wrote, a subtle blend of authority and care, and as much toughness as tenderness, as much courage as comfort. And so we see that the calling of an elder, the calling of a pastor, is very high in terms of his love for God and his love for God's people. However, and because of that perhaps, the duty of the elder in the church today is often abused. The spiritual aspects are often neglected. I don't think there are many people who set off to say, let's have a church, let's find deacons, let's find elders, and they say, we're going to abuse these roles. They have good intentions in the beginning, most of them, But then the church gets big because of their commitment to biblical authority. And all of a sudden, rather than shepherds, the elders become managers of an organization rather than shepherds of people. They have no choice. They got to pay the bills. They got to hire people, fire people. They got to do all this stuff. And pretty soon, elders are not taking care of people. They're just taking care of mortgages and keeping the lights on, and making sure there's enough parking, which is important, but not that important. And this is nothing new. I mentioned to you that in the Old Testament, there were elders over Israel. And we see in Ezekiel 34, as one example, where these elders were abusing, they were neglecting their role, and God rebukes them. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. So even, we, even in the Old Testament with Israel, we see these elders who are not shepherding properly and God rebukes them. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. By the way, some of you may think it's embarrassing, but there's nothing embarrassing in turning to the second or third page of your Bible, looking up the table of contents, Uh, and finding where Ezekiel is. 
For those of you here this morning, it would be embarrassing if in a, a year from now you still need to do that. But today, look it up. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. And woe, W-O-E, is a strong word of condemnation in the Hebrew. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Implication and not themselves. Verse 3, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought uh, for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. You have abused them. Then jump down to verses 8-10. through 10. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. I do not care from a worldly perspective how many private jets, how many mansions, how many luxury cars, how many times they're on televisions, but these elders or so-called pastors who are not feeding the sheep with the word of God are condemned and will be damned by God. They are liars. They are thieves. They are Pharisees. And they are promising nothing to their flocks than an eternity in hell. Because they have told them that they are going to heaven when they are sons of Satan, as are their leaders. This is not a gray area. This is not a they're doing their best. This is lost sheep, dying sheep, hungry sheep, sick sheep, you understand this is all spiritual stuff, right? Not physically sick. Right? I'll, I'll pray for you, but go see a doctor. This is taking care of their spiritual well-being. Go back two books in the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4. Again, same idea. These shepherds were not doing their job. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. Verse 4, 
I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And we see this. You understand that the nation of Israel is different. We see this today. Yes, there are plenty of false teachers. There are plenty of false pastors. There are plenty of elders who are not doing their job. But God has raised up shepherds to which these people can come. God has raised up churches, solid churches, in remote areas of the world and liberal areas of Silicon Valley where people can come and truly be shepherded. But the warning is clear. At the same time, back in 1 Peter, elders, he says, are to exercise oversight. This is supervision. The word literally means to have scope over God's people. And this emphasizes the shepherd's duty of assessing every individual's spiritual condition in order to properly lead them, to protect them, to nourish them. Again, many today are calling themselves shepherds, but they are merely what we call in in church leadership, fleecing the flock. They are abusing the sheep, as a, a real shepherd would do, just not taking care of it, just give me the wool, make my money, and then let the sheep die, be malnourished. Right? They're just using the, the church, their people, for whatever personal gains, whether it's not materialistic, if it's just ego, if it's just authority, if it's just whatever it may be. And some, as many of us know of, uh, not, hopefully not personally, but on television and whatnot, are fleecing the flock in an in, in almost literal sense of using it for financial gain and to be able to have much in this world. And the whole irony of this is they're promising their congregations, some of them, that they too can have all this money. And so they justify. They justify this abuse of, of their church's finances by saying, I am a role model to you of faith because you too can have all of this money. And, and they are, again, they are, they are sons of the devil. To be that crafty, to be able to trick tens if not hundreds of thousands of people that somehow giving all their money away to pay for that guy's third, uh, third vacation home in France will make them wealthy, and that's what God wants. It just it, it baffles the mind, but they are deceived. Right? This is, you know what they've tapped into? They haven't tapped into the spiritual needs, which is Jesus Christ, right? The, the, the need for forgiveness. They've tapped into the sin problem. They've tapped into the felt needs. They know that in their sin, these people want fame and fortune, and so that's what they preach, and that's what they abuse, and they take. This is what the world does. Right? This is what, you know, if the guy wasn't holding a Bible and on a so-called Christian television station, you would say, this guy's a scam artist. It's a pyramid scheme. It's a, he's a thief. He should be in jail, right? If, if he tricked everyone out of their money, it's... I mean, it's a pyramid scheme, right? Give my money to you and somehow come back. Except it doesn't come back because that's God's job, right? But it isn't God's job and he never promises that. So they fleece the flock. Using the people of God and misleading them to line their own pockets, boost their own egos. Many do this knowingly and willingly, laughing all the way to the bank. Others, in the name of God and ministry, fail to shepherd properly. 
There are many people who are well-intentioned. They are well-trained. They know the Bible. But they're not shepherding because they fall into two extremes. First, and these are, these are classmates of mine, former classmates of mine, okay? Uh, these are people who are, uh, some of them, personally trained by Al Mohler, John MacArthur, Al, R.C., Piper. And they fall into two extremes. One is they are so focused on preaching and teaching that they are absolutely inaccessible. They love to preach. And in so doing, they are feeding their flocks through their sermons, but they are not ministering or caring on a personal level. And of course, as there's a spiritual justification, right? Well, I need to study God's Word. Oh, sorry, Pastor. Right? They don't make any visitations to hospitals. Now, I understand, and I don't want your mind to automatically uh, go to these celebrity conservative pastors I'm talking about. They can't visit 400 hospitals a day, right? But they've trained pastors and people under them to do that. The elders are doing that. I'm talking about in a typical church like ours, totally inaccessible, right? Or... They go to the second extreme, which is the opposite. And and frankly, this tends to be people who aren't as well-trained. They are so focused on -on one-on-one ministry. They're visiting people all day, every day, and they do not study God's Word. And sometimes this is pressure from the congregation. What do you mean you're going to go study? Didn't you go to seminary? Don't you know it all already? Just go up there and preach. And so they go to counseling And they come up on Sunday mornings and they preach, but they're not biblical sermons, and the counsel is not from the Scriptures because they're just so busy doing visitations. They're so busy meeting people that they never even have their own personal quiet time. And the flock may feel cared for. They are given much attention. They brag about the accessibility of their pastors, but really they're malnourished because they're being fed only on good intentions, the pastor's opinions, and biblical misinterpretation. And so there needs to be a good balance of the two. I'll talk about this more next week, but I, when I was in seminary, uh, there were a bunch of us seminary students that were interns or more volunteers at our church in the college department. And I had the... the uh, the privilege, the blessing, really, of living where all of my students lived at UCLA and Westwood. A lot of the seminary students who had had my role before and after, they couldn't afford to live there. And so to even visit uh, the students, they had to drive an hour or hour and a half in traffic. So I would study for my theology classes in the dorms. I would hang out with people. And I remember talking to another, we call them shepherds, another shepherd of another campus ministry. And I was talking about how, you know, I like to spend time with them and go out with them. And, and he was shocked. He was like, I would never spend time with the people uh, in, my, in my group, in my Bible study. And I was very confused. And there's some people who just like, I don't want to do that. And some of their intentions are good. And some of them, they're like, look, I know I'm not perfect. And, and they're worried that if people get to know me, they realize I'm not perfect and they lose respect for me and they lose the effect of my preaching and the power of the word and all this stuff and all this just total nonsense. Nonsense, right? 
I mean, there's guys in this room that I disciple that have seen the worst of me and still respect what I say because it comes from the Word of God. Now, outside of those two extremes that I've mentioned, there are other areas in which they fail to shepherd. Maybe they focus on having a big church, a large flock, which ultimately, you know, the best way to have a large flock is, I mean, like exponential growth, is watering down the message. Get non-Christians in the door, right? And they justify this by saying if we can get them in the door by having a nice concert, some of them serve beer instead of coffee, whatever it may be, not kidding, true story, right? They say if we can get them in the door, then we can preach the gospel to them. But here's, here's the problem. You're, you're getting them in the door with sermons that are filled with junk food, and you really think that if you have made this trail of potato chips into the door and that's how they've come in, when you switch to veggies and salads, they're going to stick around? No. You give opinions and good stories and feel good and God wants you to be, be happy and, and healthy and rich and all of a sudden expository preaching and you mention the word sin and damnation, they're gone. Then you have a problem because you've got to keep preaching those watered-down messages. And then you have a huge church filled with people who have never heard of the concept of sin. Do I need to make the chain for you? If you don't know about sin, you don't need Jesus, you don't need the gospel, and so you're preaching to people who aren't saved. How could they have turned to Christ if they don't think they need Him? God loves you. Is not salvation. And there's really no excuse for this because God's Word is very clear. It is not only clear in what believers are to know and do and follow, but the Bible is also clear in what elders are to know and do and follow. There can be no confusion about the qualifications of an elder. There's no fuzziness in the Scriptures about what an elder is to do. And in fact, as we read on in verse 2 and through verse 3 next week, Peter addresses some of the temptations and the wrong motivations or methodology or thinking that may exist in the elders' oversight. And we'll see this next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hard work of being a pastor and the privilege it is to be called and gifted by the chief shepherd. Father, for those who are visiting, for those who may be traveling or leaving, finding a church, I pray that you would guard them from buying into the seeker mentality of a watered-down gospel and an elder that is just a friend and is there to stroke his own ego and the egos of the congregation. I pray that you would raise up especially in this church qualified men who desire the work of an elder, who love you so much that they love your people, they love your word. I pray that you would raise up these men and that you would continue to make me the kind of man who loves these people so much that I am willing to sacrifice, that I'm willing not just to encourage but to rebuke, willing to make the hard decisions to church discipline or to call back to the fold. Father, outside of our church and your universal church, raise up 
godly men. That the church may be what you desire it to be. That your sheep may be the type of people who are shepherded in the way that you have ordained and the way you desire. Father, for those in our church who are elder qualified, may you make it clear who those men are and may you convict their hearts that this is something that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.